Welcome to the Master of None podcast, adventures in a hands-on life. Build. Grow. Cook. Train. Explore. If you're listening to this, that means that it was released which means that I did get a chance to finish recording it and edit it and release it for your enjoyment, which means that I survived what I am about to do, which is great news for you and me both, me because that means I'm still alive, you because that means you get to keep enjoying more great Master of None content. So before we talk about what I'm actually going to do today or tonight more accurately, Let me kind of set the stage for a situation that maybe you've found yourself in before, maybe you will find yourself in in the future. Let's say that you've been at work all day, and throughout the day, maybe it's been snowing, and more and more snow is piling up, and by the time you are ready to leave work, it's an all-out blizzard, or there's a lot of snow on the ground, maybe visibility is questionable, maybe road conditions are questionable and maybe you think oh should I really try to drive through this and maybe you live really close to your work so maybe it's not a big deal maybe uh, like me you live further from town and you're going to be driving on some uh, more backcountry roads that you're not sure if they've been plowed yet and it could be a little bit of a sketchy situation let's say that you decide to go for it and you're going to go ahead and drive home And partway home, you slide off the road. Maybe you slide off the road because of some ice, or maybe the visibility is so bad that you actually don't see where the road is and you drive off the road, or maybe there's a giant snow drift on the road and you drive into it and it was so deep that your car is actually like stuck in the snow now and you spin your tires and there's just no way to get out of it and you you try to get out and your car just sinks deeper and deeper into the snow and you are stuck like you're not going to get your car out of here until some serious help comes along with maybe some chains or toe straps and they can pull you out and that's probably not going to be tonight Um, it'll probably be sometime tomorrow. Now, you, of course, don't really relish the thought of spending the night in your car. So off in the distance, you can see some lights and they don't look that far away. And maybe, maybe it's even the lights of your own house and it's not that far away. Maybe it's a mile away. You can see your house from here or maybe... Maybe it's another building, maybe somebody else's house or barn, or you're not sure what it is, but you can see those lights and they don't look like they're that far off. So you decide to walk or attempt to walk to where you can see those lights so that you don't have to spend the night in your car. So now I've kind of set the stage for what we're going to be talking about today. And people die every year because of this exact situation where there's a blizzard, they get stuck, they see some lights off in the distance, they think they can walk there, and they die somewhere between their vehicle and those lights. So let's talk now about some of the mistakes people make in this situation. 
really the the first mistake being getting into this situation to begin with. Now, we all make mistakes and we've all get ourselves into situations that maybe in hindsight, it's like, yeah, that was a mistake. Even getting into the situation, you've been there, I've been there, whether that's in a blizzard that you shouldn't have gone out in or some other situation, it, it happens. But what we really need to do is take a step back. And once we're in that situation that maybe we should have avoided, we need to start our good decision-making process right then. Because as long as you continue this bad decision-making cycle, there's always this chain of events that like, if you had made a good decision at any point along these six steps, you'd be okay. But it's bad decision after bad decision after bad decision that really gets people into trouble. So we're going to talk a little later about how to avoid the situation to begin with, some recommendations there. But we have this hypothetical scenario of this person, vehicle stuck, no immediate help coming. They'd really rather not sleep in their car. So what are the typical mistakes that people make at this point? And one is just the distance to estimating the distance to lights that they can see in the distance at night. People tend to vastly underestimate the distance. Depending on where you live, if you live a place where you can see a long distance, uh, like I do, at night you may be able to clearly see a light that may actually be 20 or 30 miles away. And in a blizzard, there is just no way that you're going to walk that 20 or 30 miles to that light. Even if it's closer, even if it's a mile away, half a mile away, depending on the conditions, you you may be really putting yourself at risk. And like I said, under, I'm sorry, yeah, underestimating that distance is one of the big problems. You may be able to make it that 200 yards or quarter mile that you think is the distance to that light, but you've actually underestimated it Oftentimes, people at nighttime will underestimate that distance by 90% or more. So you think it's a tenth of a mile away. Well, it turns out it's actually a mile away. You think it's a mile away. You're like, "Eh, I can walk a mile, right? Turns out it's actually 10 miles away. So just keep in mind, assume you're going to vastly underestimate the distance to that light that you can see in the distance. Uh, There's also the assumption that that light somehow means safety. It could be a light on someone's house. Maybe they're home. Maybe they're not home and they just have their porch light on for security reasons or whatever and their house is locked and it's not really going to do you any good anyway. Or maybe it's a barn um, that, yeah, maybe that'll give you some shelter, uh, but maybe not. Uh, Maybe it's a transfer station for a gas pipeline and there is no shelter or help of any kind there and it just has lights on for security reasons. It could be any number of those things. Don't assume that a light that you can see means help or safety. Next, uh, being unfamiliar with the terrain between you and wherever you're trying to get to. So just because you can see that light and you know maybe it is a reasonable distance away, but you don't know if there's some deep ravine uh, between you and that light, especially keep in mind we're talking a blizzard, we're talking at night. You could have some deep crevice that's filled up with drifted snow that you can't even see. You fall into it and you've just made your situation much, much worse. Um, or a 
frozen or partly frozen creek that has then had the snow kind of drift over it. So now you actually fall in the water. And so not only are you exhausted and cold and now you're wet and cold and now we're talking a serious survival situation where your life is literally on the line and your the heat is getting sucked out of your body you you don't have long to get that situation fixed so better off to just avoid it and not attempt to walk toward that light um another mistake that people kind of make is the underestimating the difficulty of walking in snow. Now, if we have, say, like four inches of snow, you can pretty much trudge through that uh, with no problem, Uh, just kind of the same as you would walk on dry ground. Um, Now, let's say that we have a foot of snow. All of a sudden, it becomes much more difficult to, to walk. You're talking about a much higher level of physical exertion trudging through a foot of snow. So maybe... Under ideal conditions, it's no problem to walk a mile. But now with that foot of snow, you're talking about the the level of physical exertion is more comparable to maybe walking five or ten miles. And for some of you, maybe you're fine doing that. For others, maybe that's pushing your limits of what you're even physically capable of doing. Now, what if we have like two feet of snow? Well, For me personally, if there's two feet of snow on the ground, I can tell you after about a quarter of a mile of trudging through a full two feet of snow, I'm getting pretty exhausted. And once we start talking about more than two feet, so three feet, four feet of snow, which some of you may be thinking, well, that's an awful lot of snow. Does that actually happen? Yes, that absolutely happens. Um, In places that get a lot of snow, you may have that much snow actually built up on the ground. Um, so at that point, it ends up being, uh, something commonly referred to as post holing to trudge through that snow. And honestly, a hundred yards of post holing, like your feet just sink down and then you have to pull your leg back up through this hole that you sank into to, you know, slowly work your way through this deep three or four feet of snow. A hundred yards of that is absolutely physically exhausting, even for somebody who's in excellent physical condition. So my point with all of this is just to say that oftentimes people underestimate the difficulty of walking through that snow and wherever it is that they think they're trying to get to, they may be completely physically exhausted when they're only halfway there. And at that point, you're out in the middle, you're just as far from your vehicle. Like, do you turn around? Do you try to get back to your vehicle? Are you even going to be able physically to make it back to your vehicle before you're totally exhausted and you literally cannot continue moving? So again, the, the lesson here with all of these mistakes is all of these could be could be solved by simply staying in your vehicle. Uh, when it comes to uh, water safety, boating safety in particular, there's a saying, stay with the boat if the boat stays afloat. And I'm going to say that also applies in this situation. If your car is afloat, it's, it's not on fire or anything like that, stay with your vehicle. Just as a general rule, that is going to save your life. Your vehicle is your shelter. Why would you leave your shelter? One of your primary survival needs, as we've talked about many times on this podcast, the rule of threes when it comes to survival. You have maybe three minutes 
without air, maybe three hours without shelter, maybe three days without uh, water, and three weeks without food. So as long as you're breathing, your next priority when it comes to your survival is shelter. So your vehicle is shelter. Why would you leave it? Why would you sacrifice that primary survival need? Why would you give that up? That makes no sense in a survival situation. The next mistake is that people who are in this situation are going out into a dangerous environment completely unprepared. Generally, they're not taking the insulation, the shelter, the fire starting tools, all of that that they might need to survive out in this blizzard. Um, Generally, you're not even going to have that in your car. Now, I carry certain things in my vehicle. I always have some uh, fire starting tools. I always have a army surplus wool blanket. I always have a tarp, some basic stuff, but I don't generally have a four season winter camping tent or a zero degree sleeping bag or stuff like that. I I don't generally have that stuff with me in my truck. So venturing out, if I was going to choose to do some sort of winter expedition, of course, I'm going to have all of that stuff with me. So why would I choose to put myself in a similar environment without all of the equipment and gear that I need to survive in that environment? Um, we already talked about kind of leaving the vehicle in general. Um, but another thing, when it comes to any search and rescue situation, almost every time the vehicle is found first. Now, whether, whether we're talking about, uh, actually rescuing somebody, uh, saving their life or just recovery of a body of somebody who didn't make it. Let me repeat that. Almost every time we find the vehicle first, whether that's a boat or an ATV, or a truck, or a snow machine. So had the person simply stayed with their vehicle, they would have been found at that point. And honestly, this is an area where I think that most of the survival shows that you see on TV really do people a disservice, because so many of those shows, um, trying to reach some location is built into the the survival challenge. And I get it. It makes it it makes for some good entertainment, but that's all it is is entertainment. In a survival situation, this may sound obvious. Your goal is to survive. Your your goal is to stay alive, not to reach some other destination. So, oftentimes, an attempt to reach that destination is going to interfere with you staying alive and you end up failing at both because when you're dead, you don't get to where you're trying to get to anyway. So the lesson here, just stay with your vehicle if it's at all possible, whatever that vehicle is. Let the search and rescue professionals do their job and make it easier for them because they're going to locate your vehicle first. Don't make them spend another day or two looking for your dead body also. Just stay with your vehicle. Then you get, they do the search you get rescued, everybody goes home happy, right? Uh, What else? We talked about our survival rule of threes again, shelter being usually the primary concern, generally just because um, it's rare that we find ourselves in a situation where we're running out of air, unless you're in a sinking boat or your car went off of a bridge and you're trapped underwater or you're in a burning building. Sure, yes, there are situations where... Your lack of air is going to kill you, but 
once we have that figured out, shelter, 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 because the vast majority of search and rescue cases last less than 48 hours. Most actually less than 24 hours. So your lack of water is not going to kill you in the amount of time that it takes to be found and rescued. So shelter, I can't, I cannot emphasize this enough. Shelter in almost every survival situation is your only concern. Now, the other thing to think about in this particular situation and really in any dangerous situation, any sort of survival situation, constantly be asking yourself with each decision you make, are my decisions increasing or decreasing my odds of survival? Now, this may sound obvious, but apparently it's not because so many people don't do this. An example being leaving your vehicle. Leaving your vehicle is decreasing your odds of survival, so don't do it. Stay with your vehicle. That increases your odds of survival, which is exactly what we're trying to do. Now, just as a side note here, in this particular situation where we have a blizzard, maybe your car's stuck and you decide to stay with your car, just as a cautionary side note, if you have deep snow, the snow can actually encase a car and if you run the engine, um, it can actually direct exhaust gases back into the cab of the vehicle and you end up dying from carbon monoxide poisoning or asphyxiation or whatever. So don't do that either. Like, Be very cautious of that in this particular situation where your car is stuck in the snow. So that's just kind of a side note. Whether you choose to run the car or not to stay warm, at least the car is giving you a lot of the shelter that you need. So we talked about some of the things that I always have in my truck, like a good heavy wool blanket, um, a tarp. I always have fire starting stuff with me. And another thing is I won't go driving out in bad conditions um, without proper clothing. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to be wearing the clothing at the time. You know, let's say that I'm going from the house out to dinner, maybe I'm dressed up, so I'm wearing a dress shoes, a suit, whatever, nice dinner. If the road conditions are the least bit questionable, I will also have my snow boots, my hat, my gloves, an extra heavy coat, all sorts of stuff like that, maybe even my snow pants, just in case I somehow get stuck between home and whatever my destination is and I need to get out of my car, change a tire, um, anything. So, uh, I will always take that stuff with me, even if I'm not wearing it. I don't have to be in my coat and hat and gloves in my car all the time, but just have it with you. A couple other things to keep in mind. Um, I, I feel like I preach this to my kids all the time when they're complaining about being cold because they chose to go wade in a puddle and now their feet are cold. The best way to stay warm is to stay dry. So managing the moisture that comes into contact with your body or your clothing and just being careful of that up front is going to make your entire uh, survival strategy a whole lot easier. Also, be aware of the difference between wool and cotton clothing. Wool, even when it's wet, maintains its insulation properties. So even though it'll be a little uncomfortable it's still going to hold your body heat in even when it's wet. Cotton does not do that. As soon as cotton gets wet, it just starts sucking the heat out of your body and you'll go hypothermic very rapidly. Now, how about synthetics? 
With the exception of synthetics that are designed to act more like wool, most of those are actually going to act more like cotton. And they get wet, they do you very little good. Now, as with most survival situations, whatever you want to call it, the best strategy is avoidance. So how do we avoid this situation to begin with? I'm going to run through some quick recommendations here. First of all, check the weather and road conditions before you venture out. If it is questionable, maybe just make the decision to not go. And maybe just be mentally prepared that it's okay to not go. Because if you don't make it to wherever it was that you had to get to, guess what? You didn't make it. And so obviously, like, you've kind of defeated the purpose of attempting if you only get halfway there. And then it's like, man, I would rather be back home in a warm, safe house than spending the night in my car or worse out on the ground in the blizzard or whatever. So just ahead of time, not going is an option, um, especially when it comes to your safety and your survival. Don't, don't risk your life to, uh, to go out to dinner, to make it home from work. It's, it's not worth it. So, um, also, have good tires, check the air pressure in your tires, have a spare tire, uh, don't venture out without a full tank of gas, and the worse the conditions are, the more important all of this stuff is. Um, what else? Uh, communicate. Uh, whether that's communicating with someone who's at your destination, um, let's say you're coming home, communicate with your family. Hey, I'm leaving work now. Looks like the roads are bad. It might take me a little longer. So instead of, you know, instead of the 20 minutes that it usually takes to get home, just wanted to let you know, I'm leaving now. If it's really slow going also, I'll call when I'm partway there. You know, if they're used to it taking 20 minutes and 20 minutes later, you're only halfway there, go ahead and give them a call again. Um, then they're not, they're not going to be as worried, uh, wondering where you are, all of that. What else? Um, also, like if you're communicating with somebody who is not at your destination, let them know when you have safely arrived. So, you know, let's say that you, maybe you live alone and you're leaving work, communicate with one of your coworkers, be like, Hey, roads are bad. I'm going to let you know when I get home. If I, if you don't hear from me, um, give me a call. Also make sure that whatever you're planning on using for your communication is fully charged. Maybe you have a backup plan, something like that. So if your cell phone is about to die, you know, you're at that 10% charge, your little battery bar is red and it's just that little thin red line and you're counting on that as your only means of communication, venturing out into a blizzard, guess what? You're making a mistake. At the very least, make sure that you have a means of charging that phone in your car while you're on the way. Also, I have these little handheld radios. I'm a big fan of radios because between my house and town, there are a lot of spots where the cell phone might not work. And if that happens to be right where I get stuck, guess what? I'm not going to be able to make a call from that spot. So what do I do then? Do I, do I then have to walk, like leave my vehicle like we're talking about in a blizzard, walk to the closest spot that may have better cell phone reception? These are those decisions where leaving the vehicle is decreasing your odds of survival 
even though you're thinking, well, if I could just make it there, then I can get a cell signal and I can call for help. Why not avoid that situation to begin with by having maybe a backup method of communication? And maybe it's not something that you have all the time, but um, I have these little handheld radios. I actually pulled them out uh, to talk about them, and these are relatively inexpensive, uh, so you can buy a set of two or four or whatever. They're rechargeable. They come with a little charging rack, so you can set them in the charger and snag one when you need to go, and it's fully charged communicate with whoever has the other radio so they you know they don't leave it turned off you know make sure both radios are on maybe clip it to your your pocket or your belt or whatever as you're walking around the house and whoever is out on the road just occasionally checks in okay so now for the hopefully entertaining part of this episode what am i actually going to do today well i'm going to do some things that i just told you not to do and then I'm going to do some things that are maybe some better decisions once we're in this this bad situation. And we'll kind of talk about it as we go. But basically what I'm going to do, we just got uh, over a foot of snow and the temperature is rapidly falling. Uh, I think the forecast for tonight is that it's supposed to be right around zero degrees Fahrenheit. So nice and cold. And what I'm going to do is... I am going to get dressed like I normally would if I was going out in this sort of conditions. So I am going to have um, gloves, hat, heavy coat, um, basic you know basic winter clothing, snow boots, all of that. And I am going to go intentionally stick my truck into a snowdrift, get stuck, and then I'm going to make intentionally the next mistake that is what we should not do in this situation and attempt to walk somewhere, um, you know, those lights out in the distance that we talked about, and I'm going to not make it, and I am going to have to spend the night stuck between my truck and my destination, my intended destination that I'm never going to get to. Now, um, the one mistake that I am not going to make is I'm not going to just attempt to walk without taking anything with me. Uh, like I said, I do always have a tarp and a wool blanket in my truck. So although I'm not going to take any fire starting equipment, which would be really nice to have a fire going tonight because it's going to be cold, um, I'm just going to take the tarp and the blanket. And those are going to be the entirety of my shelter for tonight. So we're going to talk about how to use a tarp and blanket to set up a shelter for yourself that will at least keep you alive even when it is really cold and snowy. But before we do that, I'm going to give you a few pointers just so I don't forget to talk about these once we're out there because it's going to be cold and miserable and I'm probably not going to be thinking entirely straight, so I'm probably going to forget a few of these talking points that I really wanted to cover. Uh, First one being, use the snow as shelter. So... Um, what I'm going to attempt to do probably is find some sort of snowbank or something that I can kind of dig into to provide some shelter from the wind. So I'm obviously going to be on the downwind side of whatever snowbank I find. And if you can, um, I'm also not going to take my emergency snow shovel with me, although that's something that I also usually have in my car. If you can try to dig all the way down to the ground. Because uh, 
the ground is actually going to be, uh, I guess, a little warmer than the surface of the snow if you're able to dig down that far. If not, it's going to be cold, but you're going to have to sleep right on the snow. Or even if you can't fall asleep because you're so cold, you're going to have to shelter right on the snow. What else? Um, manage the heat of your hands and fingers. If any of you have ever read any like Jack London books, this is something that he talks about and describes really well is the absolute misery of trying to start a fire when your hands are basically frozen, you can't feel your fingers. You Once you lose that dexterity, you are less able to carry out the tasks that are going to save your life. So right from the start, don't be like, oh, I'll just do this real quick without my gloves. No, go ahead, get those gloves on. Keep your hands warm. Your hands are your primary life-saving tool in every single situation. So take care of them, keep them warm, keep them moving. Don't let your fingers freeze up. Also, uh, speaking of things freezing up, another mistake that people often make when it comes to extreme cold weather survival is thinking that they're going to stay warm through physical exertion. Now, it works for a little while, but what are the problems with this? First of all, in any survival situation, conserving your energy is always a good thing. Doing extra movement, extra physical exertion just for the sake of doing it is it's just using up that that battery, that fuel source that you need to keep yourself alive, using it unnecessarily. So the more tired you are, the that's your survival odds dropping when I see you getting tired. So that's one reason why you should not do that. Another reason why you should not do that is when you exercise, you sweat. And we talked before about how once once you get wet, especially if you're in cotton clothing, it starts sucking the heat out of you. And even in wool clothing, you're going to be less comfortable. And that that moisture from the sweat is not a good thing when it comes to managing you staying alive. So that um, that's another reason why you should not count on physical exertion to stay warm. Um, another reason why you should not count on physical exertion to stay warm is once it gets really cold, that higher level of physical exertion, you're going to be breathing harder and you can actually freeze your lungs and die from that. Uh, that'll kill you really quickly. You do not want your lungs to freeze. So um, how do you avoid this? Slow down. The colder it gets, the slower I move. Um, <laughs> makes me sound like I'm a lizard or something. But when I am outdoors, um, and I would prefer to enjoy my outdoor activities and have it just stay in that bushcraft zone. That's the fun zone. Survival is no fun. Our goal is to stay out of the survival zone. So how do I stay in the bushcraft zone instead of the survival zone? By slowing down. The colder it is, I just know everything's going to take longer. And I want to slow down enough that I don't break a sweat and that I don't breathe so heavy that I'm sucking in that cold air so fast that I actually freeze my lungs. So that is why you should not count on physical exertion to stay warm. It's not going to work out well for you. The last tip before we head out there and actually do this, before you get into your shelter, or maybe I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how we're going to build the shelter too. Anyway, before you actually get into your shelter to try to go to sleep for the night, um, go ahead and pee. Because you have this whole bladder full of basically water, urine, and 
you will actually stay warmer with an empty bladder than with a full bladder because your body doesn't have to heat, even though it's, it's warm, warm pee. We all know pee comes out warm, right? Um, it, it doesn't have its own heat. It's not providing heat to your body. Your body is actually having to heat that bag of urine that's inside of you. So when you're, when you're kind of right on the edge of how warm you're staying, um, you know, you're really managing this as a survival situation. It will make a noticeable difference uh, in extreme cold to have an empty bladder. And it's actually significantly easier to stay warm with that empty bladder. So pee before you lay down in your shelter. Now, how are we actually going to build the shelter? Well, it's pretty simple. I'm basically going to find a snowbank that provides a little bit of shelter from the wind, uh, dig into it as much as I can, and then I'm going to take the tarp and lay the tarp down in such a way that I can lay down on half of the tarp. And basically what that does is it just provides a little bit of moisture protection, mostly. It's that moisture barrier. So I'm going to lay down on half of the tarp and then fold the other half of the tarp over myself to provide some both moisture and wind protection. Um, now, this also works well in the rain uh, for staying fairly dry. And um, that is one benefit of surviving when it's really cold is at least when it's that cold, the water isn't wet. It's frozen. So, yay. At least we don't have to worry about getting rained on. So I'm going to lay my, my tarp down in such a way that I can lay down. Think, think of like hot dog style. Like I'm the hot dog. The tarp is the bun just gets folded in half over me. Basically I'm going to do something similar with the wool blanket. Um, this is an extremely simple, uh, survival shelter. And this is really what most true survival shelter ends up looking like. It's great to have a tent or a tarp tent. We did a whole episode on tarp tents and different ways to rig that tarp tent. I consider that more the bushcraft. Um, if it comes down to actual survival, I'm probably not going to have the gear that I need or the, uh, yeah, basically the gear that I need to set up a nice tent. I'm going to wrap myself up in a layer where basically from the ground up, I have a layer of tarp a layer of wool blanket, me, another layer of wool blanket, another layer of tarp. Now that top layer of blanket and tarp, I'm going to grab that and I'm going to wrap it pretty tightly over my body. Um, I really want to minimize the amount of air inside this, uh, this improvised shelter because my body is the only thing providing heat. So the less volume of air that I have to heat up, the better. So we want that wrapped pretty tightly over us. Now, the one kind of exception that I'll make there is I'll try to kind of prop up an area right around my face um, just because you're really going to be hunkered down. And it's nice to just have a little room around your face instead of having the blanket smushed right against your face. So so I like to have a little bit of breathe, a little kind of breathing pocket right around my head when I do this. Um, but other than that, I want it wrapped pretty tightly. Um, one other thing about how I actually set this up that I don't think I mentioned yet is again, like a hot dog bun, me being the hot dog and this wrap of tarp and blanket being the bun, the, the fold of the hot dog bun, I want that to be pointed into the prevailing wind. Um, that way any wind that comes up is going to tend to keep my shelter on me. 
um, as opposed to if I pointed the opening toward the wind, then any wind that comes up is going to tend to rip my shelter off of me, which is not good and makes for a pretty miserable night of sleeping. I'll be honest, it's going to be a miserable night of sleeping anyway, so I might as well make the best of it and set my shelter up as best I can, utilizing the snowbank for some initial protection. That initial windbreak can make a huge difference. And then the orientation of kind of this clamshell type shelter. Um, this is also, I should mention, totally doable with uh, military issue poncho and poncho liner, uh, also called a wooby. Um, you can do this exact same thing where the uh, the outer poncho provides the, uh, the windbreak and uh, kind of the waterproof layer. And then the inner quilted poncho liner provides the insulation. So not quite as effective as a tarp and a wool blanket, um, but also a lot lighter weight, easier to pack around. So I think that's everything that I wanted to cover on uh, kind of this survival situation and exactly what we are going to be doing tonight. And when I say we, I basically mean me, but I think of it as a we because I'm bringing like you, the audience along with me. So it feels like more of a group activity, even though it's going to be pretty lonely. Also, I should mention if there are two of you sleep right next to each other and you will stay much, much, much warmer. I'm doing this alone. So I have only my own body heat to work with. Um, I will take a picture of what it looks like outside as I'm heading out right now. And I'll put that up on, on, uh, the show notes for this episode. So you can see what it actually looks like right now, because it, it just looks really cold outside. It looks like I live in Siberia or somewhere anyway. Um, I think that's it for now. So I'm going to, uh, throw my coat and hat and boots on and head out to the truck and go crash into a snowbank. So I'll meet up with you when I'm out there. All right, here we are. We are out on the road, and we're going to go ahead and get the truck stuck here in a snowbank right about here. There we go. All right, we are stuck in the snow, which is, I guess, not that unusual of a situation to find yourself in. So what we should do right now is maybe call for help um however we don't have a radio with us and we happen to be in a dead spot for cell phone signal so off in the distance i can see some lights now since this is basically where i live i know where those lights are coming from we're going to simulate attempting to walk toward those lights trust me they're way too far away uh they're actually about six miles away although if you weren't familiar with where they were it appears that they're a lot closer, maybe even close enough to walk to. So we're going to, instead of staying with the vehicle like we ought to, we're going to walk out in all of this snow. We have over a foot of snow on the ground and we're going to not make it to where those lights are. So just to be safe, um, I am going to snag the wool blanket and tarp uh, that I keep in the truck here. Um, we're not going to make that bad of a decision and just walk out there without any supplies. So I'm going to go ahead and turn the truck off because we are abandoning our vehicle, which we know that we shouldn't do. 
I'm gonna grab the tarpon blanket right here. Alright, let's go for a little hike. Snow is pretty deep. Alright, there is no way that we're going to make it to those lights. So I have found a little snow bank here. It's kind of drifted up. What we're going to do is we're going to dig into the side of that bank, the downwind side, use that snow bank as a little bit of a wind shelter. Also, it's not real windy tonight, which is helpful. Um, it is cold, but not that windy. So at least we're only dealing with the cold, not real high wind or anything like that. So I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, drop my tarp and blanket here. I'm going to lay the tarp down first and the blanket on top of it just to keep, uh, keep a little bit of snow off of that wool blanket and keep it as dry as possible. So I'm going to dig a little semi-snow cave, get down as deep as I can, kind of making a notch in this uh, snow drift. And uh, then like we talked about, we're basically going to make a hot dog out of the tarp, the wool blanket, and my body. So um, I will be back with you after I get this dug out. Okay, um, so now all we're gonna do is unfold this tarp completely. And like I said, think of like a folded hot dog with the tarp being on the outside. So tarp against the snow, and the tarp's also gonna be the outer shell and the, the fold is also gonna face into the wind. So if it does get windy, uh, there's just a little breeze right now. If that picks up, we want that wind to lay this shelter down tighter over top of us instead of trying to pick it up and uncover us. So there's that. And I'm gonna do the same thing with the blanket. Lay down right here. Fold this entire thing over me. And that's really all there is to it. So we have our emergency shelter built now. It's gonna be a cold night and I will see you in the morning. So we survived all night out in the snow. Yay. Um, maybe not the most comfortable and restful night of sleep that I've ever had, but um, that method that we talked about that I used of making that clamshell hot dog bun, whatever you want to talk, whatever you want to call it, out of the tarp and the blanket, wrapping that up nice and tight, finding some additional shelter uh, on the leeward side of a snowbank, um, kept me alive all night. And uh, it was actually, I'm not going to say it wasn't that bad. It was, it's pretty miserable. Um, but, you know, nowhere near the uh, risk of hypothermia zone or anything like that. Uh, you know, I was still totally able to get up in the morning and move around. No, no real danger of not surviving there using that method. It's a solid method of sheltering yourself in that emergency, that last ditch. I've got to get some shelter. That's a great way to do it. So what are some other lessons learned? Um, I should also mention until you really know what you're doing, um, take baby steps in your survival practice. Like don't just go out with a tarp and a wool blanket when it's uh, actually a lot colder than it was 
uh, forecast to be, it got down to 11 below uh, Fahrenheit. So that's uh, pretty chilly. Don't do that. Um, Work up to something like that. You know, maybe just go camping first. And uh, yeah, so like I said, until you really know what you're doing, be very careful about uh, intentionally putting yourself in any sort of situation like that. Uh, next, what are some of our lessons learned? I mentioned before, stay with the boat if the boat stays afloat. And that applies to your vehicle just as much as it applies to a boat. Also, shelter, shelter, shelter. I can't emphasize that enough. In the vast majority of any sort of survival situation, that is the only thing that matters. So as, as long as you're breathing and not actively bleeding out, focus on your shelter, focus all of your effort on your shelter. Um, in fact, I should mention last night I got really thirsty. Um, however, would it have been worth it to, uh, say attempt to find water? Um, it's so cold. Any water is going to be frozen. I didn't have a method of, uh, heating that snow or ice, uh, to make water that I could drink. So it might have quenched my thirst a little bit to actually eat snow. I made the conscious decision not to do that because my entire focus here, my entire priority is staying alive and my one survival need at this point is shelter. And by eating snow, I'm lowering my body temperature and compromising my overall shelter picture and making one of those choices again that just decreases my odds of survival. I might be a little thirsty. I might be really thirsty, but I'm nowhere near that three-day point where lack of water is actually becoming something that is going to kill me. So I know I can make it overnight without any water and be just fine. So I made the decision to set that aside, even though I was really thirsty, made the decision to just focus on maintaining um, my body temperature, my shelter. So... uh, yeah, that's, that's really a good example of how pursuing another survival need too soon in the picture could compromise your actual ability to survive. Uh, also, just recognize when your decision-making is compromised. Um, the colder you get, the more tired you get, the more hungry you get, your, your actual decision-making ability is going to be compromised and you'll make worse decisions and you'll be more likely to make those decisions that are going to decrease your survival odds. And we're all about just making little decisions that increase our survival odds instead of decisions that decrease our survival odds. That's that's how you stay alive. Also, another way to make those good decisions is to think through the situation before you're actually in it and say, okay, in this situation right now, you know, I'm sitting at home thinking clearly, I'm not freezing to death. I'm not starving to death. I'm not overly tired. I'm going to think through this situation, maybe even read something that experts have written on this topic and decide right now what I'm going to do should I find myself in this dangerous survival situation. You know, is it a good idea to try to walk or should I stay with my vehicle? Make that decision right here and now that even if I think I can walk that mile through the snow, I'm going to choose to stay with my vehicle and stay alive. Because right now I know that that's the right decision. So don't let your compromised state compromise your decision making. Also, um, 
Finally, let me just say, never walk toward uh, lights at an unknown location in an attempt to survive. And we talked about all of the reasons for not doing that um, earlier in this episode. So I just want to reiterate that. Don't try to do that. Uh, That's always a mistake. So finally, was it worth it? Because I mentioned uh, this was a completely miserable night of sleep, even though I could have been way worse had I not been able to build that shelter. Um, And for the record, I was close enough to home uh, that if I was actually in trouble, I could have just walked inside. Um, So I was not actually putting myself at risk of dying. Like had I made some other mistakes had I gotten uh, wet, had I somehow been incapable of getting my shelter set up or anything like that, I definitely had a uh, kind of bailout plan in place uh, where I could get inside, get warm, you know, sit by the fire, have some hot cocoa, or whatever, uh, get dried off if I needed to, change clothes, um, have my wife here who would be able to help me, all of that. So I wasn't, I was not actually in danger doing this. However, had I been out on the road and had I not had the uh, tarp and blanket and and or good winter clothing, the, the boots, the gloves, the hat. You can't just sit out overnight in 11 below weather and expect to survive. Um, so even though it was a completely miserable night of sleep as nights of sleep go, it wasn't that bad. It was not nearly as bad as being totally exposed. That's a highly effective shelter method. Along those same lines, I will say that occasionally doing this sort of thing makes you appreciate a nice, warm, soft, comfy bed just that much more. So back to my question, was it worth it? Miserable night of sleep, no real danger. If this information in this episode helps just one person survive a night where maybe they wouldn't have survived otherwise because they they think back and oh, I remember that one episode of Master of None podcast that I listened to where Isaac talked to us all about this and what the right and wrong things to do are. I'm just going to stay put in my vehicle that's stuck in the snow instead of attempting to walk. If that saves one person's life, it was well worth it. So uh, that's about all we have for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed my misery and I hope you learned something. And uh, like I said, if you want to see some pictures of my shelter, actually, that I set up and what it looked like yesterday evening, I guess is, yeah, yesterday evening, right before I headed out, um, go check out the show notes at masterofnonepodcast.com. As always, if you have any questions, suggestions for topics that we could cover, anything like that, send me an email at contact at masterofnonepodcast.com. And if you want to see what I'm actually working on right now, I try to keep uh, Instagram fairly up to date with uh, pictures of projects as I do them, whether that's uh, a meal that I'm cooking uh, that we're going to do an episode on or um, some sort of construction project or garden stuff or stuff around the the property or anything like that. I try to keep uh, Instagram up to date with what I'm actually doing right now. So you can go check that out. I am at isaac.r.gordon. That's I-S-A-A-C dot R dot G-O-R-D-O-N. Also, if you happen to be on Facebook, 
and you have not joined yet, go join the Master of None podcast Facebook group. Um, Just search for Master of None podcast. It's the first one that pops up and request to join that. That's just a place where members of the group can um, share ideas, uh, pictures of their projects. Uh, I put some of the pictures of my projects on there too. Um, Maybe you are working on a project and you need some advice uh, from maybe somebody who's done something similar before. So that's just kind of a place where we can all uh, share some of those ideas for whatever it is that we're working on. And that is it for this episode. So until next week, stay warm, stay dry, stay out of the blizzard, and pursue your mastercraft. Thanks. Bye. Theme music for the Master of None podcast is Club Seamus by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0, creativecommons.org. If you need some of your own original music, go check out Kevin's other work at his website, incompetech.com. Incompetech.com.